Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks with our special bonus episode presentation of Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. So far, very little blood. (laughs) They opened with a lot of blood. They opened with a little bit of blood. They opened with a girl losing most of her blood. We don't know that, though. Which I feel like she would have preferred to retain inside of her body. Ah, overrated. (laughs) Yeah? You you think (laughs) so? (laughs) Yeah. It's my official take. Write it down. Send it to TMZ. Blood's overrated. All right. We are on chapter eight. The coffin, the absence of the dead, the mysterious circumstance, and the consternation of George. (laughs) They were all silent for a few moments as they looked around them with natural feelings of curiosity. Two of that party had, of course, never been in that vault at all, and the brothers, although they had descended into it upon the occasion nearly a year before of their father being placed in it, still looked upon it with almost as curious eyes as they who now had their first sight of it. Oh, boy. Oh, we're starting strong. That was only a 56-word sentence. That was fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is shorter than the average. Much like me. <laughs> If a man be at all of a thoughtful or imaginative cast of mind, some curious sensations are sure to come over him upon standing in such a place, where he knows around him lie in the calmness of death those in whose veins have flowed kindred blood to him. Sure. I'm not even finished with the sentence, but we've come to an M dash, and I'm going to take the opportunity to, one, breathe, and two... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, why are you stopping? There's no period. <laughs> Where he knows around him lie in the calmness of death those in whose veins have flowed kindred blood to him. Yeah. I can't think of a more expedient way to say that, Ken. I don't know what you're... That is five different layers of passive construction. Yeah. On top of each other. All to say, when a dude's surrounded by his dead relatives. When you think about it, the dead are the ultimate passive. So it makes sense. Truly, there's nothing more passive than a corpse. Exactly. So why not switch to six different layers of passivity? <laughs> it's the new eight layers of irony. Yeah, I was going to say, good luck, I'm behind eight, eight layers of passive voice. If I may finish this sentence. <laughs> who bore the same name and who preceded him in the brief drama of his existence, influencing his destiny and his position in life, probably largely by their actions compounded of their virtues and their vices. Probably largely. Yep, that's that's how family be do. That was an 86-word sentence. Oh, he's outdone himself today. A new record. Henry Bannerworth and his brother George were just the kind of persons to feel strongly such sensations. Both were reflective, imaginative, educated young men, and as the light from the wax candle flashed upon their faces, it was evident how deeply they felt the situation in which they were placed. All right. <laughs> Mr. Chillingworth and Marchdale were silent. They both knew what was passing in the minds of the brothers, and they had too much delicacy to interrupt a train of thought which, although from having no affinity with the dead who lay around, they could not share in, yet they respected. Henry at length, with a sudden start, seemed to recover himself from his reverie. "'This is a time for action, George,' he said, and not for romantic thought. Let us proceed.'" <laughs> Ooh, had some romantic thoughts about the corpses in this vault, huh? "'Oh no.'" It's worth noting that romantic at this time means fanciful, fantastical, prone to flights of fancy, daydreamy. I know, but it's more fun to pretend it's the contemporary one. It is way more fun to pretend it's the contemporary one and not simply meaning, like, melodramatic and far removed from reality. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, said George, and he advanced a step towards the centre of the vault. Can you find out amongst all these coffins, for there seem to be nearly twenty, said Mr. Chillingworth, which is the one we seek? I think we may, replied Henry. Some of the earlier coffins of our race, I know, were made of marble, and others of metal, both of which materials, I expect, would withstand the encroaches of time for a hundred years at least. Okay, Henry. Of our race? I'm no geologist, but I'm pretty sure marble can last for over a hundred years, but... Well, well, I mean, okay, but he is right. It is at least a (laughs) hundred. I mean, yeah. Yeah, something you dig out of the earth after millennia will last for at least a hundred years. At least. At least. Let us examine, said George. There were shelves or niches built into the walls all round, on which the coffins were placed so that there could not be much difficulty in a minute examination of them all, the one after the other. When, however, they came to look, they found that decay's offensive fingers had been more busy than they could have imagined, and that whatever they touched on the earlier coffins crumbled into dust before their very fingers. I'm having an aphasia trying to figure out why the phrase decay's offensive fingers are in quotes here. That's... listen, I can't help you, I have no idea what he's doing there. being sarcastic i can say i will be introducing that phrase into my everyday vernacular yeah i open up uh i open up a tupperware with some leftovers i'm like ugh, decay's offensive fingers yeah decay's offensive fingers has rendered my loaf of bread stale but you have to do air quotes around it when you say it oh absolutely i have to make decay's offensive fingers whenever i say decay's offensive fingers exactly yeah now it just sounds like a product. Try Decay's Offensive Fingers. <laughs> decay's Offensive Fingers. To rot anything on contact. It's like the platonic reverse of Mr. Clean. Oh my god, it is. <laughs> Finally, he has a nemesis. A worthy opponent after all this time. <laughs> he's, he's gone unchecked for too long. In some cases, the inscriptions were quite illegible, and in others, the plates that had borne them had fallen onto the floor of the vault, so that it was impossible to say to which coffin they belonged. Get wrecked, losers. Of course, the more recent and fresh-looking coffins they did not examine, because they could not have anything to do with the object of that melancholy visit. Wait, why Why are they assuming that the recent dead have nothing to do with this? How do they know that their dad isn't the vampire? Yeah, <laughs> all you seem to come to agreement is that a vampire is there. When did they decide that it couldn't possibly be a new vampire? Yeah, and, like, how do they know their dad's, like, get-rich-quick scheme with German princes didn't involve the German princes turning him into a vampire, like... Exactly. We shall arrive at no conclusion, said George. All seems to have rotted away among those coffins where we might expect to find the one belonging to Marmaduke Bannerworth, our ancestor. Marmaduke? Marmaduke? (laughs) I forgot he was called Marmaduke. Marmaduke? You mean that funny dog? He can't have done this. (laughs) Are you kidding? That dog's a menace. (laughs) <laughs> that dog would absolutely break into a woman's room at night and drain her of her blood. That's a horrible- you're fucking slandering Marmaduke. Here is a coffin plate, said Marchdale, taking one from the floor. He handed it to Mr. Chillingworth, who, upon an inspection of it close to the light, exclaimed, It must have belonged to the coffin you seek. What says it? Ye mortal remains of Marmaduke Bannerworth, yeoman. God rest his soul. A.D. 1540. <laughs> Yeoman is uh, what I say when I see someone I recognize at the mall. (laughs) Pity laugh that joke, how dare you? (laughs) It is the plate belonging to his coffin, said Henry, and now our search is fruitless. 
It is so indeed, exclaimed George, for how can we tell to which of the coffins that have lost the plates this one really belongs? Wait, I'm sorry. Look. Like, if you're looking for an empty coffin, that should be pretty goddamn easy to determine, right? Yeah, just open them all. Like, uh, how am I going to figure out which one is empty? Like, oh, no, we'll never find out. Just treat the family vault like an advent calendar and keep going until you stop finding corpses. Well, fucking, I mean, like, the stakes are pretty high here. Like, oh, I'm pretty sure one of my dead relatives just came and fucking used my sister like a Capri son. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I think it calls for a little bit of extreme search. I should not be so hopeless, said Marchdale. I have, from time to time, in the pursuit of antiquarian lore, which I was once fond of, entered many vaults, and have always observed that an inner (laughs) coffin of metal was sound and good, while the outer one of wood had rotted away, and yielded at once to the touch of the first hand that was laid upon it. Oh, God. That's great, Marchdale. Alright, so I mean, where have your your objections gone now, Ken, that we found out that Marchdale is actually, he just kind of goes and strolls through other people's vaults? Opening him up to check out the inside coffin. But admitting that to be the case, said Henry, how does that assist us in the identification of a coffin? I have always, in my experience, found the name and rank of the deceased engraved upon the lid of the inner coffin, as well as being set forth in a much more perishable manner on the plate, which was secured to the outer one. He is right, said Mr. Chillingworth. I wonder we never thought of that. I also wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's gr- Well, why does only one of you know how coffins work? If your ancestor was buried in a leaden coffin, there will be no difficulty in finding which it is. Henry seized the light, and proceeding to one of the coffins, which seemed to be a mass of decay, he pulled away some of the rotted woodwork and suddenly exclaimed, You are quite right. Here is a firm, strong leaden coffin which, although quite black, does not otherwise appear to have suffered. What is the inscription on that? said George. With difficulty, the name of the lid was deciphered, but it was found not to be the coffin of him whom they sought. Him whom they've sought. Love it. I think it's from the old obsolete grammar rule, never end a sentence with a preposition, which only exists as a grammar rule in English because at the time when we started realizing that languages need grammar, we decided to steal all the grammar rules from Latin, despite a lot of the grammar rules from Latin not applying to English because in Latin it's actually impossible to end a sentence with a preposition, whereas in English... That's often the most direct way to convey meaning. That's true. Anyway, this has been Linguistics linguistics Nerd Corner. You're welcome. (laughs) Welcome. We can make short work of this, said Marchdale, by only examining those leaden coffins which have lost the plates from off their outer cases. There do not appear to be many in such a state. He then, with another light, which he lighted from the one that Henry now carried, commenced actively assisting in the search, which was carried on silently for more than ten minutes. It's not really fair to call the Bannerworth boys, like, creative and intelligent and reflective if they, like, this is a first grade introduction to, like, problem solving that nobody's been able to, like, figure out. <laughs> this is, this is like, toddler problem solving work, like, well, okay, we got six that have plates and six that don't have plates, and the ones that have plates are the ones we're not looking for, like, <laughs> these aren't smart men. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I think I think these boys might be stupid. Uh, unless this is a primer for problem solving, was meant to instruct. He then, with another light, which he lighted from the one that Henry now carried, commenced actively assisting in the search, which was carried on silently for more than ten minutes. 
Suddenly, Mr. Marchdale cried in a tone of excitement, I have found it! It is here! They all immediately surrounded the spot where he was, and then he pointed to the lid of the coffin which he had been rubbing with his handkerchief in order to make the inscription more legible, and said, See, it is here. By the combined light of the candles, they saw the words, Captain Planet. No. By the light of our candles combined. No. <laughs> Sorry. By the combined light of the candles, they saw the words, Marmaduke Bannerworth, Yeoman, 1640. Wait. Wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, yeah, all right, wait, yeah, you're right. <laughs> did you also just scroll yeah, up? Yeah, I, I did also. I, I think <laughs> I think our brains did the exact same catch and prove. <laughs> yes, because within the space of 500 words, Marmaduke Bannerworth's death date has moved an entire century. <laughs> <laughs> from 1540 right. to 1640. <laughs> All right, here's my theory. They they buried him, and then he was like, "Stop! Get me! Quit it! Quit it!" And then he lived another hundred years, and they had to do it again. Oh god! <laughs> oh, that's some ace writing. Truly incredible. It's in the same chapter, so you can't even give me some like, "Well, it was it was done." You know, this was re- released serially, so maybe they were like, they couldn't possibly. This was all one piece of work that he could have looked at. Yeah, they're going to open the coffin, and he's going to have a, like, a death certificate from 1740. He's going to get progressively younger as the writing continues. Yes, there can be no mistake here, said Henry. <laughs> There's one. <laughs> this is the coffin, and it shall be opened. I have the iron crowbar here, said Marchdale. It is an old friend of mine, and I am accustomed to the use of it. <laughs> Marchdale's a lonely man. Shall I open the coffin? If you were trapped in a vault with a man who has a, who produces a crowbar seemingly from thin air and says, Ah, my old friend. <laughs> Be terrified. <laughs> it's like a discount Sweeney Todd. <laughs> it really is. Do so, do so, said Henry. They stood around in silence while Mr. Marchdale, with much care, proceeded to open the coffin, which seemed of great thickness and was of solid lead. That's one of those things that is true that that I've never really grappled with. Like, the idea of making a coffin out of solid lead seems so fucking stupid. And yet, here we are. And yet we keep doing it. It was probably the partial rotting of the metal in consequence of the damps of that place that made it easier to open the coffin than it otherwise would have been, but certain it was that the top came away remarkably easily. Indeed, so easily did it come off that another supposition might have been hazarded, namely, that it had never at all been effectually fastened. Oh my. Lead doesn't quite rot like that. No. No, it doesn't. That's why they used it, is the one thing. The entire reason you use lead is that it doesn't rust. (laughs) Yeah, that's like... That's part of why we thought it was like a great preservation thing, was because it preserved itself rather well. I really like... Granted, this is very minor in it, into just sort of casually forgetting when Varney died. Uh, (laughs) that, that, That he's like, well, the good thing is that the interior coffin is usually completely undamaged, and then they get to the interior coffin, they're like, oh fuck, it's wicked damaged. The few moments that elapsed were ones of very great suspense to everyone there present, and would indeed be quite sure to assert that all the world was for the time forgotten in the absorbing interest which appertained to the affair which was in progress. (laughs) Never state anything directly. 
I feel like we don't use the word appertained enough. No human being has ever said appertained often enough. The candles were now both held by Mr. Chillingworth, and they were so held as to cast a full and clear light upon the coffin. Now the lid slid off, and Henry eagerly gazed into the interior. There lay something certainly there, and an audible thank God <laughs> escaped his lips. Something certainly there. I'm gonna refer to everything that way. <laughs> something certainly there. Like, what is that? Something certainly there. <laughs> the body is there, exclaimed George. All right, said Marchdale, here it is. There is something, and what else can it be? <laughs> like anything. You haven't told me what it is. Hold the lights, said Mr. Chillingworth. Hold the lights, some of you. Let us be quite certain. George took the lights, and Mr. Chillingworth, without any hesitation, dipped his hands at once into the coffin, and took up some fragments of rags which were there. <laughs> it's a little concerning. A little concerning, Chillingworth. He's a doctor. Fuck, I'm gonna touch it! <laughs> The thing about doctors in the 1840s is that they were all experienced grave robbers. That's not a joke or exaggeration. That was the state of medical science at the time, which is we need bodies to practice on and no one's giving us the bodies. So medical students are going into the graveyards and taking bodies. True. I just really, I wish if I were writing this, I would definitely have a moment where the three other men are just looking at him like, what the fuck? They were so rotten that they fell to pieces in his grasp like so many pieces of tinder. There was a death-like pause for some few moments. Because he'd just plunged his hands into a coffin. <laughs> because, because, because everyone just realized he's a grave robber. <laughs> and then Mr. Chillingworth said in a low voice, There is not the least vestige of a dead body here. And I should know I hauled out plenty. <laughs> I feel like that should be like a tag on an apartment listing. Or like an Airbnb. <laughs> not the least vestige. There is not the least vestige of a dead body here. Smiley emoji. I will say, if I read that, I'd feel pretty good about the uh, the chances of encountering vestiges of a dead body. <laughs> Henry gave a deep groan as he said, Mr. Chillingworth, can you take upon yourself to say that no corpse has undergone the process of decomposition in this coffin? Henry, are you questioning the man that saw a coffin and went, fuck, I'm going in. To answer your question exactly, as probably in your hurry you have worded it, said Mr. Chillingworth. <laughs> this character. I cannot take upon myself to say any such thing, but this I can say, namely that in this coffin there are no animal remains, and that it is quite impossible that any corpse enclosed here could, in any lapse of time, have so utterly and entirely disappeared. <laughs> I love Mr. Chillingworth. I am answered, said Henry. <laughs> you damn right you are, you bitch. Man, Mr. Chillingworth fucking rules. He's so cool. I'm gonna answer your question as if a smart person had said it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me answer your question as if it were intelligently worded. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stomach hurts. <laughs> Losing at Mr. Chillingworth. Good God, exclaimed George, and has this but added another damning proof to those which we have already on our minds of one of the most dreadful suppositions that ever the mind of man conceived? I really expected George to be like, good God, the shade! It would seem so, said Marchdale sadly. Oh, that I were dead! This is terrible! God of heaven, why are these things... Oh, if I were but dead and so spared the torture of supposing such things possible. 
Think again, Mr. Chillingworth, I pray you, think again, cried Marchdale. <laughs> if I were to think for the remainder of my existence, he replied, I could come to no other conclusion. It is not a matter of opinion, it is a matter of fact. And it does not care about your feelings. I say the same thing. This is, the, this is the funniest chapter. This is the funniest chapter so far. You are positive, then, said Henry, that the dead body of Marmaduke Bannerworth is not rested here. <laughs> I am positive. Look for yourselves. The lead is but slightly discolored. It looks tolerably clean and fresh. There is not a vestige of putrefaction. No bones. No dust, even. <laughs> We've all just figured out what bones are, so... They did all look for themselves, and the most casual glance was sufficient to satisfy the most skeptical. All is over, said Henry. Let us now leave this place, and all I can ask of you now, my friends, is to lock this dreadful secret deep into your own hearts. <laughs> All he asks. Monsters are real, and I ask you one very small thing. Shut the fuck up about it. It shall never pass my lips, said Marchdale. Nor mine, you may depend, said the doctor. I was much in hopes that this night's work would have had the effect of dissipating instead of adding to the gloomy fancies that now possess you. Good heavens, cried George. Can you call them fancies, Mr. Chillingworth? I do indeed. <laughs> have you yet a doubt? My young friend, I told you from the first that I would not believe in your vampire. And I tell you now that if one was to come and lay hold of me by the throat, as long as I could at all gasp for breath, I would tell him he was a damned imposter. <laughs> well, okay. No, it doesn't say damned imposter. It says D-D imposter because this is a good Christian vampire story. Yeah, we're not going to cuss. Welcome to Mr. Chillingworth's No Cuss Club. I love Mr. Chillingworth. I love him. This is carrying incredulity to the verge of obstinacy. Far beyond it, if you please. <laughs> You're goddamn right it is. God, I love Chillingworth. He's getting cooler by the second. You will not be convinced, said Marchdale. I most decidedly on this point will not. <laughs> then you are one who would doubt a miracle if you saw it with your own eyes. I would, because I do not believe in miracles. <laughs> I should endeavor to find some rational and some scientific means of accounting for the phenomenon. And that's the very reason why we have no miracles nowadays between you and I, and no prophets and saints and all that sort of thing. And then he tipped his fedora and backflipped oh. out of the crypt. Oh my god. Oh, so what? You saw a miracle, you'd be like, that didn't happen. I don't believe in them, so yes! Fuck <laughs> off! I, I can't help but Think of that one scene from Avatar The Last Airbender when the villagers like, can your science explain why it rains? And Sokka's <laughs> just like, yes! Yes, it can! I, I really like that uh, you did like explain about how all doctors were essentially grave robbers because that actually brings in like a second layer to why he refuses to believe in the vampire just because the grave is empty. And also makes him seem a little sus. Yeah, like, he's <laughs> having emptied several graves in his day. He knows that there are many rational explanations for why a grave might not have a corpse in it anymore. Listen, I don't want you to ask too many questions, but there's a lot of reasons the corpse might be gone. Sometimes corpses go walking. We don't really question it. And we especially don't tell the cops. <laughs> 
my new conspiracy is that Chillingworth stole the body. <laughs> I would rather avoid such observations in such a place as this, said Marchdale. Nay, do not be the moral coward, cried Mr. Chillingworth. <laughs> to make your opinions or the expression of them dependent on any certain locality. <laughs> Chillingworth fucking rules. <laughs> you fucking coward. Not up or shut up, Marchdale. I know not what to think, said Henry. I am bewildered quite. Let us now come away. Mr. Marchdale replaced the lid of the coffin, and then the little party moved toward the staircase. <laughs> and just picture them with, like, little paper hats and noisemakers. Just a quick little corpse party in the family crypt. <laughs> Henry turned before he ascended and glanced back into the vault. Oh, he said, if I could but think there had been some mistake, some error of judgment, on which the mind could rest for hope. I deeply regret, said Marchdale, that I so strenuously advised this expedition. I did hope that from it would have resulted much good. And you had every reason to hope, said Chillingworth. I advised it likewise, and I tell you that its result perfectly astonishes me, although I will not allow myself to embrace at once all the conclusions to which it would seem to lead me. Okay, all right, all right, I'm doubling down on my suspicion that he's just buttoning with, like, listen, no one's more surprised that that thing is gone but me, but that doesn't mean it was vampires. I, like everyone else, am very surprised that the body is gone. <laughs> Shocked and scandalized. I am satisfied, said Henry. I know you both advised me for the best. The curse of heaven seems now to have fallen upon me in my house. Oh, nonsense, said Trillingworth. <laughs> what for? Shut up. <laughs> Alas, I know not. Then you may depend that heaven would never act so oddly. In the first place, heaven don't curse anybody, and in the second, it is too just to inflict pain where pain is not amply deserved. Heaven don't curse nobody! They ascended the gloomy staircase of the vault. The countenances of both George and Henry were very much saddened, and it was quite evident that their thoughts were by far too busy to enable them to enter into any conversation. They did not, <laughs> and particularly George, seem to hear all that was said to them. Their intellects seemed almost stunned by the unexpected circumstance of the disappearance of the body of their ancestor. All along they had, although almost unknown to themselves, felt a sort of conviction that they must find some remains of Marmaduke Bannerworth, which would render the supposition, even in the most superstitious minds, that he was a vampire, a thing totally and physically impossible. But now the question assumed a far more bewildering shape. The body was not in its coffin. It had not there quietly slept the long sleep of death common to humanity. Where was it then? What had become of it? Where, how, and under what circumstances had it been removed? Don't ask Mr. Chillingworth. Don't ask him, he doesn't know. <laughs> had it itself burst the bands that held it, and hideously stalked forth into the world again, to make one of its seeming inhabitants, and kept up for a hundred years a dreadful existence by such adventures as it had consummated at the hall, where, in the course of ordinary human life, it had once lived? Where is it? How's it feeling? <laughs> okay, so even if Marmaduke Bannerworth died in 1640 rather than 1540, a hundred years of dreadful existence would only bring him to the 1740s. Wow, this author's really good at math. <laughs> this book takes place in the 1840s. It was written in the 1840s and takes place contemporary to the time it was written. So I don't think numbers are maybe our author's strong suit. I really don't think. 
And I, I can vibe with that, but, like, just ask someone to double check. <laughs> All these were questions which irresistibly pressed themselves upon the consideration of Henry and his brother. They were awful questions. And yet, take any sober, sane, thinking, educated man and show him all that they had seen, subject him to all which they had been subjected, and say if human reason and all the arguments that the subtlest brain could back it with would be able to hold out against such a vast accumulation of horrible evidences and say, I don't believe it. I mean, Mr. Chillingworth is right there. Don't be rude. <laughs> Mr. Chillingworth's was the only plan. He would not argue the question. He said at once, <laughs> I will not believe this thing. Upon this point, I will yield to no evidence whatever. <laughs> king. Absolute king. That was the only way of disposing of such a question, but there are not many who could so dispose of it, and no, not one so much interested in it as were their brothers Bannerworth, who could at all hope to get into such a state of mind. The boards were laid carefully down again and the screws were placed. Henry found himself unequal to the task, so it was done by Marchdale, who took pains to replace everything in the same state in which they had found it, even to the laying, even the matting at the bottom of the pew. Then they extinguished the light, and with heavy hearts, they all walked towards the window to leave the sacred edifice by the same means they had entered it. Shall we replace the pane of glass? said Marchdale. Oh, it matters not, it matters not, said Henry listlessly. <laughs> Nothing matters now. Fuck. I care not what becomes of me. I am getting weary of a life which must now be one of misery and dread. You must not allow yourself to fall into such a state of mind as this, said the doctor, or you will become a patient of mine very quickly. <laughs> that is a threat. <laughs> I cannot help it. Well, but be a man. If there are serious evils affecting you, <laughs> fight out against them the best way you can. <laughs> I cannot. Come now, listen to me. We need not, I think, trouble ourselves about the pane of glass, so come along. What? Wow! Real cool, y'all! He took the arm of Henry and walked on with him a little in advance of the others. Henry, he said, the best way you may depend of meeting emails- <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I mean, same thing. The best way you may depend of meeting evils, be they great or small, is to get up an obstinate feeling of defiance against them. Now, when anything occurs which is uncomfortable to me, I endeavor to convince myself, and I have no great difficulty in doing so, that I am a decidedly injured man. Indeed. Yes, I get very angry, and that gets up a kind of obstinacy, which makes me not feel half so much mental misery as would be my portion, if I were to succumb to the evil and commence whining over it as so many people do, <laughs> under the pretense of being resigned. <laughs> this is so good. But this family affliction of mine transcends anything that anybody else ever endured. I don't know that, but it's a view of the subject which, if I were you, would only make me more obstinate. What can I do? In the first place, I would say to myself, there may or there may not be supernatural beings who, from some physical derangement of the ordinary nature of things, make themselves obnoxious to living people. <laughs> if there are, damn them. Or... <laughs> D-N them, because this is a good Christian vampire novel. There may be vampires, and if there are, I defy them. Let the imagination paint its very worst terrors, let fear do what it will and what it can in peopling the mind with horrors, shrink from nothing, and even then I would define them all. Defy them all, even. <laughs> is that not like defying heaven? Most certainly not, for in all we say and all we do, we act from the impulses of that mind which is given to us by heaven itself. If heaven creates an intellect in a mind of a certain order, heaven will not quarrel that it does not do the work which it was adapted to do. I know these are your opinions. I have heard you mention them before. 
I like the idea that Chillingworth often goes <laughs> off on these tirades. Chillingworth is just like the atheism subreddit. It's just like walking up to people in the village going, suck it up and think about it, you dumb bitch. Yeah, think about it for like five seconds, idiot. They are the opinions of every rational person, Henry Bannerworth, because they will stand the test of reason. And what I urge upon you is not to allow yourself to be mentally prostrated, even if a vampire has paid a visit to your house. Defy him, say I. Fight him. Self-preservation is a great law of nature, implanted in all our hearts. Do you summon it to your aid? I will endeavor to think as you would have me. I thought more than once of summoning religion to my aid. Well, that is religion. Indeed. <laughs> Perhaps the same could be said of all religions. <laughs> oh, God damn it! I consider so, and the most rational religion of all. All that we read about religion that does not seem expressly to agree with it, you may consider as an allegory. <laughs> I can texture Mr. Chillingworth so clearly in my mind. So good. This is so good. I see his beard. I see his cargo shorts. I see him standing in the aisle of the local gaming store. <laughs> but Mr. Chillingworth, I cannot and will not renounce the sublime truths of scripture. They may be incomprehensible, they may be inconsistent, <laughs> and some of them may look ridiculous, but still they are sacred and sublime, and I will not renounce them, although my reason may not accord with them, because they are the laws of heaven. Listen, I've read the Bible, and it's stupid, it's dumb, it doesn't make any fucking sense, it looks dumb, it's stupid, and I hate it, but that doesn't mean that. this powerful argument silenced Mr. Chillingworth. <laughs> what? Who was one of those characters in society who hold most dreadful <laughs> opinions and who would destroy religious beliefs and all the different sects in the world if they could and endeavor to introduce instead some horrible system of human reason and profound philosophy. <laughs> and hold all neckbeards the same. All neckbeards the same. But how soon the religious man silences his opponent, and let it not be supposed that because his opponent says so more upon the subject, he does so because he is disgusted with the stupidity of the other. No, it is because he is completely beaten and has nothing more to say. Oh, okay. It's definitely okay, not because yes. you shocked him into stunned silence at how one person could be so stupid. Especially considering, like... The clapback here is like, yeah, it's fucking dumb as shit, but, like, it's mine. And I love it. The distance now between the church and the hall was nearly traversed, and Mr. Chillingworth, who was a very good man, notwithstanding his belief in- <laughs> Notwithstanding his disbelief in certain things, of course, paved the way for him to hell. <laughs> took a kind leave of Mr. Marshall and the brothers, promising to call on the following morning and see Flora. Henry and George then, in earnest conversation with Marchdale, proceeded homewards. It was evident that the scene in the vault had made a deep and saddening impression upon them, and one which was not likely easily to be eradicated. <laughs> Mr. 
Chillingworth is a very good guy, despite being a piece of shit heretic sinner who is going to burn in hell. <laughs> and that's what having Thanksgiving dinner with your religious family is exactly like. Oh my god. <laughs> to reveal that, that the author did not intend to write, like, an, an audience surrogate hero in Mr. Chillingworth. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Fuck you, I only love him more. <laughs> I, like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> he takes Henry aside and he's like, Henry, you gotta fucking calm down. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Henry, there are so many reasons a corpse goes out of a grave and don't ask me how I know any of them. And, yeah, don't talk to me about that in any depth, but like, but here, like, please stop being stupid. Oh my god. Well, thank you all for coming to join us. <laughs> on this chapter of Varney the Vampire. The funniest chapter of not only Varney, but possibly anything I've ever read. And thank you for supporting the podcast through Patreon. We hope we hope this was worth your price. I, I really hope so. I, listen, I enjoyed it. I, I had, had a, a great time. I mean, I have, I have a good time on every Varney chapter, but I gotta say, this has been a treat <laughs> oh and tune in next week for chapter nine the occurrences of the night at the hall the second appearance of the vampire and the pistol shot Ooh. au revoir goodbye <laughs>